It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's get right into it. We we have some news, some developments that I want to get into. We'll talk about uh, new Ohio State commitment in terms of the quarterback room. We'll talk about Quinn Ewers a little bit. That's a fun topic conversation. But I really want to get into something that I had a conversation with a buddy of mine. I hadn't seen him a little bit. Um, he's a guy running to at the gym and I've been in the gym and God knows how long I broke my collarbone and then COVID hit. So I'm like avoiding that place like the plague, but I did go back this Friday and I saw him and that's all we talked to. We probably spent a good 30, 45 minutes talking about this new playoff proposal. We got 12 teams in it to win it. And I'm super stoked about it. I think maybe people who are a little more, conservative a little more old school a little more traditionalist may not be as excited but i'm in favor of any kind of method or format that will allow ohio state to be in the mix for a national championship like nine out of ten years so i don't (laughs) how are how do you feel about this potential uh, change to college football playoff yeah, I think it's fantastic. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is um, this is a big deal. Uh, and what's what, what I find really interesting is I don't think there's a whole lot to hate mm. about the proposal. There's there's room for quibbles. There's sure. certainly room for quibbles, particularly as, you know as it comes to uh, things like the buys and how and how that affects uh, games played on campuses and some of those kind of things, which we'll get to in a minute. But overall, you, you start with the idea that we moved from the BCS to the playoff and that's been universally, I I think a net positive in, in many ways, it has some definite negatives for, you know, the, the sport in terms of what it's meant for the bowl structure, which I know you have very warm, fond feelings for the bowl system and, uh, you know, organized professional money laundering. Um, That's great. It's uh, you know, but the question for me, wasn't you know when uh if but when with regard to expansion so then if we assume expansion will happen how how much i thought you know a six or eight team playoff was was a slam dunk 12 really caught me sideways when they came out with it and then after you get to reading the details you're like huh i guess this kind of makes sense uh in in a few different ways particularly if you assume that there's one group that says well uh and one group i mean the sec that says hey more opportunities for our teams is 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 a good thing and then everybody else saying well okay but we also want to get this so you you had to please a lot of different stakeholders and this was kind of the cut the baby in half solution Mm -hmm. well let me let me play devil's advocate for a little bit because i i do agree with you right like i i would like the idea of ohio state being involved in all of this i think more teams means it's more interesting than having the same pool of five or six teams every season that's not as fun uh but I was talking to my buddy and we were getting into it a little bit. And he was saying, look, you know, when I, and he's a former, you know, football player, he, he played all the time in high school. And it's something that he really values on, on that kind of level. Whereas I, a guy who never played football, didn't really, you know, have this perspective. And he he said, look, if you're going to have some kind of playoff or some kind of system that is going to determine a national champion, he wants excellence to be rewarded and to him the idea that you might have a three or four loss team in a playoff and potentially a national champion not only does that seem a little bit lopsided in terms of trying to reward excellence but it also seems like you're really just kind of you know devaluing the entire regular season like what what's the point who cares if you schedule a tough out of conference schedule or if you have a tough conference schedule 
if you don't need to win all of those games or even a lot of those games, right? Like if you can, you can waltz in with an eight and four record or a nine and three, or what's the point? How, how do you value the regular season in that sense? So I'm curious, how would you respond to that, Andy? How would you respond to that complaint? Cause I think it's a, it's a pretty valid one. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fair complaint, although I think this system rewards the regular season more so than the current four team system. And here's why. With the idea that you have the automatic conference championships, you you can't you can't just uh, assume that, hey, I'll I'll play my cupcakes or I'll play my uh, chicken shit Saturday like the SEC does. And that'll be good enough, uh, because let's say you are. Uh, a big 12 team uh, as an example, and you haven't been getting a, a boatload of love lately because the big 12 outside of, you know, Oklahoma uh, has been pretty terrible. Right. So oh, PAC 12 maybe is a better example, even. So mm. your champion's going to get in, which is nice. That's good. You're happy about that. If you're one of those teams, but you've still got to play a legit regular season schedule, because if you're not that team, because upsets do happen from time to time, the, the uh, favorite has not always been the PAC 12 champion in the championship game era. So, if you're one of those other teams, you've got to play a legit schedule to get in one of those at-large bids, right? Like mm. that, that to me is you want to be in that top 12 to make sure that you're going to get a look if, if you're not the conference champion. Now, if you're in Ohio State and you look and say, hey, we, we, we've won the Big Ten championship more often than not, then it doesn't necessarily matter for you. And you can just say, this is how we're going to schedule and we're not going to worry about you know, trying to game the system. If you're an SEC team and and you are in, you know, the top half of your conference, you're going to say, yeah, we're going to get in. It'll be fine. But those other teams, I mean, I feel like you have to play a legit regular season schedule and do well to get the, the, the ranking sufficient enough to get in at one of those at-large bids that, you know, and if you look at this last year as an example, you know, I could have seen two group of five teams in there, right? Because you could have had um, you could have had a Cincinnati and, and what, like, I think like a coastal Carolina or somebody that would have been up there ranked mm -hmm. highly enough potentially to get in. You know, there's some really interesting things now. What, what will be even more interesting to see how, if, if the rankers and voters on the committee, <laughs> if they, if they do their jobs differently, knowing that, you know, in terms of the rankings, knowing, you know, Oh, this, uh, this 12 spot that I might've just given somebody to make them feel warm and fuzzy or something. Oh, now I got to make sure how that affects uh, playoff. The other part of it, I think seating matters, right? So right. we'll talk about that more as we, as we pick this apart. So how you perform in that regular season to get, to get a top four spot. So you get a buy, you know, to get a, to get a top uh, eight spot. So maybe you're getting home field advantage, mm -hmm. you know, that, that has real consequences. So I, I don't think it devalues the regular season at all. I hear the concern about, Oh gosh, you're going to have some three loss sec team in here. I think that's who that concern applies to is that you're, you're going to have, you know, something goofy like an Arkansas coming in with three losses, you know, and like a team that never would have sniffed it previously, but now, but I, I get past that with the idea that, Hey, this is how we do this in, literally every other phase of college football outside the, the, the FBS and not for nothing. Look at the, look at the NCAA tournament game in basketball. Right. Well, and, and that is right. Kind of the, the platonic ideal, I guess, of, of tournaments, because you see that and you go, well, shoot, I'll watch all of those games. Cause yes. they're interesting. Right. Like that's not, I don't, I don't turn off, you know, the first round of March madness. Cause it's, you know, Oh gosh, it's a, it's an eight seed and nine seed. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to see a five and 12 seed. That's not, of course I'll watch those games. Because... And, and here's, here's something else too. Like what's going to be a better game, a one versus 16 in the NCAA basketball tournament. Or, you know, let's say some of those, uh, you know, five through eight teams 
and, and nine through 12 teams going at it on college campuses in the first round of the NCAA right. football tournament, right? Like think about that for a minute. I, I think where you've had some legitimate complaints about the current playoff system is there's been some pretty crappy football games played because there's been a lot of crappy football games. You know, played. You, you, you've only, I mean, even I, th I thought Ohio state, Alabama, like that game wasn't in question for a large portion of it. And, and that was still a more competitive game than some of the games we've seen yeah. in the, the, the playoff era. I think you'll see fewer of those laughers in the 12 game format. I think, I think you'll see a lot of those laughers, but I think the other thing is that you'll see more engaging games simply because there'll be more games. Um, I will say this though, the, the selection is what really intrigues me and how the seeds will be allotted because by skipping six or eight teams and going straight to 12, you are doing a couple things when it comes to the committee, right? Like one thing is that you're really, really, really asking them to come up with some kind of like standard that they will adhere to so that you can have kind of a predictable idea about what geographically or by conference or whatever the, the makeup of those 12 teams are going to look like, right? Like how many P5 teams, how many G5 teams, all that kind of stuff. You want that to be fairly predictable if you're the, you know, the playoff or people doing the media stuff or whatever, because then you can start to, you know, create your narratives and figure out who's going to play when and all that kind of stuff. The second thing that you're doing is that you're really asking them to, you're really trusting them, I guess, to not just fill that whole thing with the first, second, and third teams and the p5 conferences right like and and completely sidestepping the idea of putting in teams like western michigan or coast carolina or whatever and again i i'm sure some of those teams will make it but you're asking them to take them seriously to a certain extent yeah and that to me that's the biggest argument for me i don't know how seriously the playoff committee will look at those teams and go, okay, they deserve to have an advantageous draw, right? If they're an undefeated coastal Carolina, undefeated Western, whatever. Okay. If you're undefeated UCF, undefeated Memphis, however that shakes out, do you deserve to have an advantageous draw? Do you deserve to have a first round buy at some point? Probably not. Um, I just really am curious how seriously they'll take those G5 conferences and those G5 teams and give them a chance to like actually be successful instead of just slotting them to the 11 and 12 seed every year. Because while that's still better than the current system, to me, that is not necessarily the kind of improvement that I want to see in terms of competitiveness and seeing what kind of parity actually exists in college football. Um, that's the thing that bothers me a little bit. And we'll see how that actually ends up playing out. But some opportunity is better than zero opportunity. And people are complaining about, well, there's still going to be an argument. You're going you're gonna to have a big conversation about who's the 12th team or who's the 13th team. And that is not the same as trying to decide the difference between the fourth seed and the fifth seed, right? And the, yeah. Or the fifth team. There's completely different conversations. And I hate when people bring that up. There, And I wrote about this last week. There's always going to be controversy. There's always going to be an argument. It's fine. It's more about which arguments are we going to have. In the BCS era, it was about <laughs> it was about robots and AI and whatever stupid computer formula that we'd come up with and strength of schedule. And it was the dumbest, most frustrating thing ever because you're like, oh, should we score an extra, you know, an extra point here? Go for two because we got to make sure that the computer algorithm will like factor this in and strengths and blah blah blah. And that was infuriating to have to parse. But this to me feels like an improvement because the conversations at least 
at least be a little bit more interesting and then hopefully a little more fair to teams that deserve mm -hmm. a shot. And I would yeah. just like to see that. So, yeah, I, you know, and I think this is really interesting to go back and look at uh, Bill Connolly, who I, I talk about every season as the, the guy who does SP plus, if you're, you're not into the advanced stats, did a really nice breakdown on ESPN.com about what, um, what he thought the, the playoff would have looked like in the, uh, since 2014. So the year Ohio state you know, mm -hmm. won it all, right. The first playoff champion. So since then, and, and to answer your, your question about, okay, would they have taken these uh, G five teams or whatever they call themselves? The, uh, they have a name. It's not group of five. I think the power five, what do they call themselves? The autonomy conferences or something goofy <laughs> like that. I saw it on the press release the other day. I'm like, well, that's the stupidest name I've, I've ever read. <laughs> um, but, but you look at, so like Boise state would have been your, your group of five, they would have been the 12th seed in 2014. They would have played Baylor. That would have been a very interesting game. Um, there were three lost teams. So number nine, Ole Miss would have been a three lost team. Number 11, K-State. Kansas State in the playoff. Uh, back when Silo Tech was pretty hot. Uh, nine and three, Arizona. The 10 seed was 10 and three. I mean, you had several three lost teams mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, in, that, in that. And of course, let's see how many SEC teams he had. Ole Miss, uh, Mississippi State. And then you had, of course, Alabama and yeah that was it alabama got of course the number one seat in a bye ohio state would have had a bye and played probably baylor in the quarterfinals you know really interesting you go on to like 2015 okay houston uh in there that that would have been interesting north carolina not a not a uh group of five team obviously but there's you know a brand that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in the current playoff ever but it would <laughs> right. have been in there right so along with teams like um uh, you know, a couple of big 10 teams in Iowa and Ohio state, you know, so, so you would have had only just one group of five. It looks like that year, 2016 Western Michigan getting in there at number 12. Fun. Yeah. That would have been fun. And a couple, you know, and some more big, more big 12 teams than I would have expected showing in here, you know, generally only one ACC team. It looks like in most of those years, but a couple of big 12 teams. So coming on to 2017, I'm just, you know, Central Florida. Remember when they were the darlings at 12 yeah. and 0? They would have been your 12 seed at uh, uh, at 12 and 0 there. And then you, Miami would have do made. You think the, that, do you uh, think that, that would have been fair that year? I think 12. I think 12 seed for that UCF team is like. I don't know how I feel about that. Here's here's the you know here's the problem with that is that year Alabama would have only been a five seed so so right. not only had Alabama versus UCF and like that would have been 2018 a, though UCF gets a little I mean they don't get a buy but you know they're they're what like I think eighth is around where they would have been yeah no it's exactly right number eight at twelve and zero yeah. um and they would have faced Washington at, at the nine seed and that would have been a really interesting game that would have been played in Central Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, so that would have been a really interesting game, I think. Uh, yeah. The Huskies on the road in, in Orlando, you know, that would have been fun. Those are the kind of games we're talking about that you could see. Um, you're going to see some, you're going to see some games that are going to make you like crazy, like LSU at Georgia in, in that year's you know, Penn State at Notre Dame. You know, now that's an interesting ball game to me. Yeah, that's fun. Um, Florida. Chicken at Florida. Haven't seen that one before. That would have been, yeah, that would have been an unusual matchup that we never no, no, would no, have. No, read that again. Florida at Michigan. Florida well, at Michigan in December. Good point. Good point. Florida at Michigan in December. Good Sign point. me up for that, you know? Yeah. And by the way, so your boy Bill Connolly actually said, like, some of the most uh, interesting uh, matchups, his his 10 favorite first-round games he put on Twitter. Yeah. And a couple times, I, I want to bring this up because this is something that just pisses me off. He talks about the fact that 
so in 2016, USC would have had to play Wisconsin at Madison, right? Camp Randall Stadium, baby. Yeah. And he said the high that day in Madison was 20 and the low was 13. Yes. Let's yes. go. Yes. In, in, in 2019, Florida would have had to roll up to Camp Randall. The high was 30, low was 17. That's Ole Miss all would have had to play. I need to hear to get I on know. board with this. Like my little heart's going pitter pad just hearing you say it. And people complain so much about this, particularly college football observers and fans from south of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And it cracks me up every time because these are the same people who are like, football's a man sport. You yes. know, you, you northerners don't take this seriously enough. You don't understand what kind of blood and sweat goes into this. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh, God, it's so cold. It's so chilly. I got to put on my jacket. I, like, I want to see a Florida fan in his jorts in the big house in <laughs> December. I want to see it. It just, it cracks me up that these people were like, this is the toughest sport in the history of the universe. Yeah, cannot yeah, play yeah. in anything below 40 degrees. And look, there are other amazing games on there too. Uh, the one that he ranked, Bill Connolly put as his number one, would, would have happened in 2020, which had been Georgia at Cincinnati and Nippert. That would have been lit. And I cannot stand Cincinnati or Cincinnati right. fans, but I would have been, I would have been tempted to try to get to that game. Like that is incredible. That would have been unbelievable. And death on Cincinnati, that would have been wild. So there's a lot to like about this, including the fact that you gotta, you know, these Southern teams gotta drag their asses up, you know, north and, and have to put on a jacket. But um I just think there's a lot of fun stuff here. That's my biggest motivation as, as someone who observed this stuff and write about this stuff. And we talk about this stuff. I am curious about intrigue. I want to see matchups. I don't normally see. I want to see games. I don't normally see forcing these teams. And again, I'm going to pick on the South, but especially these sec teams who hate traveling more than a couple hundred miles for an out of conference opponent, uh, forcing them to actually make the effort and, and, and have games on opposing campuses. That's a big deal. That actually means a lot to me as a college football fan because I want to see more of that. Now, Ohio State, and frankly, a lot of the Big Ten, has done their part in trying to create that kind of excitement, right? They're, you know, Ohio State's traveling all across the country and playing whoever and inviting whoever wants to come to do it. A lot of other Big Ten teams are doing that, but that's not universal. And, and hopefully this playoff format will force a little bit of that. And yeah. – if you're a team that's in a P5 conference, maybe you feel, and again, this is me being optimistic. I don't know how realistic it is, but maybe you feel a little bit more leeway to schedule a team that's outside of your traditional wheelhouse mm-hmm. because you realize that you can take a hit if you schedule a really tough team. Right. But even if you lose, you play them tight, you play them tough, and then that maybe helps your resume out even if you have one or two losses in the year because you can still get into that. And let's say you don't win your conference. If you're Auburn or whatever, right, and you finish second in the SEC, well, maybe you went out and you scheduled a marquee opponent in the first or second you know, week of the season and you traveled across the country. And let's say you won that game. Well, that might actually help you maybe not get a first-round bye, but you might get a favorable seating you know, come December. So I think that's something that's definitely worth looking at and, and considering. And um, I don't know, aside from the, you know, we can kind of go back and look at all these different games that might've happened and how cool they would have been. Um, but just from a competitive standpoint, I'm not really so much concerned about rewarding excellence, I guess. 
Uh, and I know that sounds kind of antithetical to the whole process, but I, I, I want to see these teams prove it on the field. I don't want to assume anything and more teams involved allows us to kind of suss that out. You know, look, here's the question I would have. Um, what's the average record of a Super Bowl winner? You know, I, yeah. I, like how many losses? They're not, they're not going <laughs> to the playoffs sixteen and zero. That's not how that works. They're not. You know, look, that's that's the that's the thing. And so right now, college football has a system where you know losses are more heavily penalized than wins are rewarded, and that's mm-hmm. wrong. That's wrong. So if you're talking about wanting to reward excellence, that's not really what you mean. What you're saying is you want to reward perfection or or dominance. That's a good point. Uh, look at how many times Ohio State. You know, I'm thinking about that year that they lost to Michigan State, you know, on that damn field goal in the ring with that kid windmilling around the place. Like, <laughs> right. that was a fantastic football team that played a shitty game, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the bigger sin? That you got a 12-0 and Boise State going in and getting shithoused by a five-seed Alabama team or that an outstanding Ohio State team that slept walked through one regular season game is left out of a shot at glory like which one of those things is worse you know were we rewarding excellence that year no not really we were penalizing you know college kids doing stupid college kid things that's that's what we were doing um the other the other thing i love about this format or at least the idea that we're moving forward is something Connolly said in his is long form Uh, this is a true tournament now right so with his seven-year simulation 39 teams 30 percent of the fbs 30 percent reach at least one playoff and if you are an Ohio State fan, you should love this because Ohio State was the team that had the most simulated appearances in this hypothetical 12-year playoff. Seven, you had Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma with six apiece, right? So, mm-hmm. so Ohio State was a clear beneficiary there. Uh, and then if you go forward to the conferences, the Big Ten, the clear winner, 20 simulated appearances to the SEC's 19. I think we all sort of assume, like, okay, the SEC is going to have a million appearances mm-hmm. but but the big 10 does extremely well at least when you back test this historically over the past seven years so I, you know to me that was really cool and then there's a big gap between the big 10 and sec there's you know there, there's a uh, about a seven appearance gap between the sec and the big 12 and then there's a clump of the big 12 the acc and the pac 12 they all have about a dozen appearances apiece um and then you know the, you have the aac uh gets five good for them and yep. then the Mac Midwest Sunbelt uh, all have one appearance apiece. So, you, you know, your G5 is definitely, there's, they're still the underdogs, but at least they're getting a seat at the table that they just do not have now. They well, just it also allows it. them to, to be bumped up from the G5 to the P5. You know what I mean? Like if, if the AAC goes in there and they're getting one or two teams every season and they're winning at least one or two games every year, okay, how long do they got to be on the outside looking in? This is a huge opportunity for some of those conferences to say, look, we play with the big boys and now we're proving it on a regular basis. Yeah, And, and, and maybe that changes is, the dynamic college football enormously. So yeah, there is maybe a this ton of change fuel that For sure, because you could see then an AAC maybe going in and picking off you know, a Mac or a Sunbelt or something and really becoming kind of big boy league. Uh, and you have a P6 instead of a P5. I, right. I, you know, I could, see, I could see that setting off some kind of by the way how funny would it be for coastal carolina to roll into like notre dame and touchdown jesus and beat them (laughs) in south like how how funny would that be like that's the other that we really can't underscore or understate the uh the humor aspect of all of this like how funny some like indiana 
going down in Texas A&M, they're, they're playing, you know, they're playing the Aggies and like they beat them on their home turf. The Hoosiers, that would be fan freaking tastic. And I, I like, we could mine so much mirth and joy from some of these games. And, and that, that is, that cannot be understated. Like that is, that is like, I, I want to really make a point of this in saying that I would laugh a lot if Notre Dame lost to a coastal Carolina or I don't know, like Western mid, like I don't ever want this to happen, but if Western Michigan rolled into Columbus and beat Ohio state, people would lose their minds eternally. And that that's, that's really what we want. That's the kind of thing that we want to see happen. Now, not that specific thing that would be awful, but in general, that kind of stuff would be fantastic. I think for the sport, I think that yeah. it, that would bring a really a March madness feel to this whole enterprise, as opposed to rotating, like I said, six teams for a 14 playoff. Yeah. Um, Cause I want to see goofy, crazy crap. I want to see madness. That's really what I want. Um, and I know some people are like, well, I want to see the best team win. That to me is invalidated by the idea. The, that was invalidated the first year of the college football playoff. Right. Because people say like, well, the, I mean, the right team won Ohio state goes in there and they won the national championship. Ohio state was ranked fourth. Why weren't they ranked first? They were clearly the best team. <laughs> Why weren't they ranked first? Like yeah. if, if this is such an easy mathematical scientifically sound process that we can just get to a T and not have any kind of quibble about who should be where, then why wasn't Ohio state ranked first in the first college football playoff? Because they were the best team. So I don't like that's, that's what I'm saying with all this. It, it is a crap shoot. No matter what you do, you should at least make it an enjoyable crap shoot. Yeah, and to absolutely. me, this seems like a much more enjoyable crap shoot. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I'm excited about it. I, you know, and again, as an Ohio state fan, like what, what are you complaining about? Ohio state gets in the playoff more often and has a better shot of winning a national championship on a regular basis. I just, to me, there doesn't seem a lot to complain about. Um, and then you get the, the chance of having that mythical all big 10 you know, final four, which is never going to happen. But if it did again, funny. And that's, that's what I want. That's what we're really kind of looking for here so. yeah and, and you know there's there 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 are a few you know potential quibbles right so like for example you'd say okay the trade-off of of uh, getting the buy versus not getting a shot at a home field game in that first round like mm-hmm. you know that's that, that i could see people having some quibbles they're like yeah, that's oh, a little man. irritating and, and, and the reason that's a quibble is, is you know, the opportunity for revenue and, and so on. So a game played at Ohio Stadium, you know, would but, – but on the other hand, hey, you don't have to play that additional game, fewer chances for injury, et cetera. One of the things I love about this is I think it totally changes this whole opt-out thing. Um, oh, yeah. God, I, yeah. I don't I, – and that actually might be the biggest motivator to, for them to have changed this, by the way. That, yeah, you know, and, and I don't love the opt-outs. I, I don't love them. However, comma, I totally understand them and do not, I want to be very clear, I do not fault, you know, somebody who is going to be a first-round draft pick, um, you know, saying no to the Poland Weed Eater Bowl. Like, I, right. I, I'm, I totally get it. I don't love it, you know, because I'm still just enough of a traditionalist that, you know, you, you you signed up you play your games and, and go on but no way man if i were the number no, one no, no, no. look if, i, if I, I, were I the potential it. I first round draft pick number one overall i'm gonna go play in memphis and just like somebody just run up my knees yeah no game. i it's gonna be great 
I no, I'm, I'm to totally, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I, I, I am like, I just say I'm, I'm enough of a traditionalist that I don't like it, right. but, but I would 100% do the same thing. And, and moreover, if it was my kid, I would 100% say, no, you are not playing. You know, you're playing yeah. in the Rose Bowl. You go play in the Rose Bowl. Sure. You're playing in the, you're playing in the Poland Weed Eater Bowl. Nah, that's okay. You can, you, yeah. you, you can, you can sit that one out. <laughs> like I, so this, you know, this, I think is a different is a different thing because if you're you're in that 12 team playoff you go play right you you go mm. play and it's and to me it's not a question will there be some you know will there be somebody sit out yeah probably there will be just because that's you know it's it's all about the money um but i i think this i think this definitely gives players a whole different uh set of things to think about and and a reason to play yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, and even, I mean, look at it in a different way. Even if you're not a super highly ranked prospect, you're not going to be a top 10 pick or even a first round pick. This is also your opportunity. Maybe if you're from a smaller school to really perform on a big stage and show people what you can do. Right. And, and maybe you play yourself in instead of the senior bowl, which I, I know that scouts are out there looking, but I don't, I don't know how much narrative is really generated from the senior bowl in terms of like popular support for a player. Instead of that, you've actually got the playoff to where you can maybe make an impact in everybody's mind. You get a hashtag going on Twitter. People start going to your Instagram page. And then all yeah. of a sudden, maybe you bump up a little bit and, and make yourself some money that way. Um, the one criticism that I would have overall is that I think there's too many damn games. Um, I just when you're adding this playoff, you're, you're reaching to a point where you really are just having way too many games in a season. I, I think in terms of player safety and just general, like, you know, kind of being worn down by the season, um, they've got to start eliminating some of the regular season. Game. I, I just, I want a tighter regular season and I like the idea of an expanded playoff, but I, I don't know that you can keep expanding the regular season and have the expanded playoff. I think that, that to me is a little bit of a, a thing I quibble with, but um overall i'm stoked about this i'm yeah I, yeah i mean i think I, I think i'm okay with where it is right now i i don't think i don't think you could i don't think you could add any more certainly i think this is sure. sort of the the max of that because i look at this i'm like it's only one more game you know that ohio state had to play the year that it won say as true example. It, it's it's only one more game now not that one more game you know isn't a significant wear and tear on these guys bodies but um you know you know i i think one more game for and it's not one more game for everybody right it's one more game for a few teams right so you know with that in mind i'm like eh that's you know not a that's not a that to me isn't a reason not to do it and, oh and no absolutely not and yet. i don't know that i would be you know i don't know how i'd feel about this knowing that okay two-thirds of the fbs still aren't playing any extra games um because we said well that's just overall right like as we said 30 percent of the fbs makes at least one playoff so you're still only talking about 24 teams each season playing some extra games do i need to see the regular season tighten down for the outliers and eh, i don't i don't know that i do right yeah and that's and that's understandable um i just you know i'm sick of those weeks and this is not even really related to the playoff but i'm just sick of those weeks in september where you're like is there any engaging games going on and well answer... yeah and and so the answer to that question or, or the question i would throw back to you then so is is the issue so is the issue that uh not everybody's playing nine conference games in their regular season or is the issue that 
the SEC schedules chicken shit Saturday in <laughs> November every year. I mean, like there's a lot to unpack with that. Cause I, cause I'm with it's you. Both. In, yeah, I think it's both. I I'm think. with you on that. Right. Like I'm definitely with you that there's some stinker weekends out there that need to go yeah. away and, and we need more compelling football in general. The other yeah. thing I wonder about is what will ticketing trends do Mm, that's a good here, question. Uh, Post COVID, like I feel like this year is going to be pretty good for ticket sales, just because there's going to be pent up demand sure. of of people who want to get out and go, you know, congregate in large spaces. Um, but what I wonder about bigger picture is, do we see the return to declining live game attendance? At, I think at we will most schools. And if so, then does that does that lead them to say, Hey, we need to schedule more compelling, right? Regular season games. I would hope so. Because like I said, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. I've the best seats I ever had my entire life. I think it was, I don't know if they were playing Florida and they were playing some really garbage team. Yeah. And I'm at the 50 yard line, two rows up, you know, double a deck. I should have been the most glorious of my life. And, you know, first of all, it was hot as hell and I'm just sweating buckets and reapplying sunscreen every five minutes and whatnot. And then it rained and you know, that the element of it wasn't great, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is just an awful game. There's nothing interesting about this. There's nothing exciting about this. People are just kind of like looking around the stadium, figuring out when they want to stand up again. So they can go pee or when they can go get some nachos. There, there's nothing fun about watching a team lose by 60 points or whatever. Um, and I was sad about that because those were, like I said, I will never have seats that good ever again, right? Ever again. Um, but I can remember a bunch of other games where I was at Ohio Stadium and I was losing my mind how excited I was and how much fun I was having. Uh, and I was like in C deck or I was, you know, in B deck and had an obstructed view. It just, it, it totally depends on the game and who's the opponent is. And um, I agree with you, man. I, I think they're going to really have to figure out some things to make sure they can keep up their uh ticket sales because they will they will bounce back this year but I, the overall trend is definitely gonna keep going down um let me ask you this so we'll talk about excitement and and bringing excitement to ohio state and get people in the seats and whatnot i am very interested in your take on the reaction or i guess maybe even potential future reaction i don't want to apply too much to this right now because it might be a little bit overblown but we got a guy coming in at quarterback, we got Quinn Ewers, you know, five-star, number one consensus, all that, all that good stuff, all those accolades. I mean, you look at his highlight stuff. Yeah, his release is a little wonky, but you know what? So is Mahomes, and nobody's really getting on him. Uh, he just seems to be the complete package in terms of a quarterback. Do you think he's going to be kind of – we talked about this in Slack. Do you think he's going to kind of be a villain for the rest of the Big Ten or maybe the rest of the country? Do you, do you see Ohio State developing a guy that – everybody loves to hate or do you think this is going to be just kind of like he's going to fall in place he's going to be the ohio state guy do the company be the company man <laughs> um because that's what ohio state does right like that's there are pros and cons to this but ohio state definitely wants you to play that part and uh i don't know if quinn is going to be that dude i'm i'm, all, I'm curious about that about yeah i mean i, I, I it, it kind of the discussions kind of cracked me up right and it's let's let's be honest this is all about the mullet like that's what well, well yes i mean really that is a good two-thirds of it right like like i mean if he comes in you know looking like uh you know a little little high and tight action or some normal fade like you know, every other uh, <laughs> he has uh, the johnny uh, unitas that you can set uh, your watch to then it's fine kind of, you know nobody's 
talking about this kid. Right. But the fact that he comes in with like this, you know, bleach blonde mullet looking deal, it's 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 different, right? So I, my my thought about this is he's going to be one of these cats. I kind of liken it to Johnny Manziel, and I don't mean to compare the two like personalities or anything like that. I I, I don't know enough about this cat to make that comparison, but Manziel's let's say his attitude his antics is whatever else you could have said this about baker mayfield too right with the whole flag planting incident oh, like sure, that yeah. they have those villain qualities that if they're your guy you love them if they can walk the walk in addition to you know talking the talk or whatever then then it's fine if <laughs> if you draw that kind of attention to yourself and you have a stinky game or mm. you're playing for the other team then yes villain 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 like that's that's my that that's my thought about it i think uh I think he's going to be really interesting. He's, he's an interesting character and Ohio state's quarterbacks in recent years haven't been interesting characters in that type of way. Like Justin Fields is an interesting character because he's like one of the most lovable guys in the sport. Yeah. Right. Uh, but JT Barrett, like super even keel unflappable, like very, like he's, he's a prototypical. Stoic. Stoic yeah. Dude. Yeah. And, and, you know, like comes from a stoic family, right? Like he comes yep. from military family. He's the, you know, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not an excitable guy. He's just very stoic. And I, I love that about him. I thought it was cool as hell. Um, but you're right. He's not a big flamboyant character. Or like you, even, I mean, look, you can talk about Cardell all you want. He's, a but not a villain, dude. right? Like likable, no, funny, funny fun guy, funny guy. No. So like, it's, I, I mean, who's the last villain that but that's Ohio the question State I want to ask you. Does Ohio, has Ohio State actually, because I think Remy asked this to us, it was like, does Ohio State, have they ever had like a football villain that I, people I just like love to hate? And I would bring up Pryor. Pryor, though, I said that people, I think people just wanted to see him fail more than they hated him. And what I mean by that is that his, his recruitment, right? He was the overall number one recruit yeah, he and he guy. extended the recruitment. And so people thought he was being a prima donna or blah, 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 all this other stuff. And I think just because there was so much hype built up around him, people like to tear down players like that, that, that yeah. come in with such high expectations and people mm -hmm. think they're going to be great. They go, well, I want to see this guy fall flat on his face. Um, but I don't know that he was ever viewed as like a villain, particularly in part because he was in an offense that was like hell bent on, you know, not on preventing him from showcasing his, his full potential. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know that Ohio state football, I, you could definitely say in basketball, right? People freaking hated Aaron craft, but uh, in football, I don't know that we've really uh, had Chief that for Assassin. a while. No, I, I, I struggle with this when, when Remy popped that question into the chat, I was just like, I, I couldn't think of it. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's where we need to get. Um, you know, I mean, maybe like David Boston or somebody like that in the nineties. I don't, you know. Yeah, but I don't know. And, and some of that, the, some of that is, is is because I don't know if you had who who have been the guys who have been most active on social media. Like that's where you see it's either right. Who are the biggest? Who are the biggest shit talkers? Like I, I, I guess I'm kind of surprised. It's probably because his uh position coaching held him back so much in college but like michael thomas he's a he's a pro bowl <laughs> shit talker right he, he's yeah. pro pro bowl at that and so like i'm kind of surprised that he wasn't a bigger villain but i think it's because he was not put in a position to be as good as he absolutely could have been well and i also think some of the captains and the other players in that uh that uh position group would not have allowed him to do that you know what yeah, i mean like yeah, you look at guys like Dan smith and right you know evan spencer like they they're, they're not they're not putting up with that um so i think they probably kept everybody on a relatively even keel when it came to that kind of thing 
but I it's 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 kind of nice actually that you have so many gregarious, funny Ohio State players while they're at Ohio State, where you really just want to talk about the fun guys because there isn't a whole lot there isn't a whole lot of drama. And that a lot of that's by design, right? Those are the, they want players that are going to mesh well and, and be good leaders and things like that. Um, but you know, <laughs> when we were talking about like, you know, the kickers wearing the same shirt all the time, you know, and the, and the check-ins and that kind of stuff, or, you know, when we're, we're talking about, um, you know, big Bob Landers, like that wearing cowboy hats, like those are the kind of things that, help fans and, and people engage with the team and Ohio state's really been lucky. I think that you don't have a whole lot of negative energy in terms of the players kind of bringing that on the team. Now I'm not saying that everybody's been a saint or that everybody's brought positive energy to the team. It's just that it, it hasn't had the overall impact in part because Ohio state keeps winning, right? Like if you, Ohio state goes on a losing streak or whatever, and then teams get, or players get a little more vocal in the media about how disgruntled they are or whatever, then you might just see, see that tone change a little bit. Um, and, and maybe you got a tiny little bit of that, um, in 2015 with Zeke Elliott. Yeah. That's what I was and, thinking about. Yeah. And, and you're like, wow, there's some, dis, you know, there's some discontent here. There's some uh, rebellion in the locker room. People are a little upset, but that wasn't a long-term thing. And it, it looks like that beef got squashed pretty quickly, which again, that's by and, design. And, you know, and, and by the I way, think. that was a fair, I mean, I think, Oh yeah. He was completely right. That was the other thing. It's not like he was, he was angry for no reason. He was 1000% correct. in what he was saying that he needed to get the ball more. And it's weird that he wasn't. And he was totally right. And all the fans agreed with him because he was in fact, correct. So yeah, I, I just don't think Ohio state's had that. And I think that's awesome. And I don't think, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that. I think Quinn yours is going to be that dude. I, I don't think he will be. I, I think he'll carry a lot of, expectations on his shoulders and you know depending on when he comes in and who he comes in behind and all that kind of stuff and we don't there's still you know cj shroud is ostensibly the starting quarterback and that's who i think most people would expect but jack miller's still there kyle mccord could you know he's got a live arm who knows what's going to happen with him if he's going to be a year ahead of quinn yours i mean you just you don't really know uh, until you see it on the field but the way ohio state does things and the way ryan day's been able to run things I don't anticipate a whole lot of drama um, unless it's manufactured by somebody or somebody digs up tweets or some kind of crap. I, I just, I don't see a lot of that in Ohio state's future. And like I said, that's a fun thing to know. It's a, it's a reassuring thing to know, particularly when you have the number one overall recruit coming in. Um, that's, that's comforting. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so good on Ohio state for continuing to just recruit the absolute hell out of the country <laughs> and also not have to worry too much about, you know any of the side stuff going on and just we can concentrate on tomorrow's motorbike or whatever the hell you know so yes. it's fine <laughs> um we will remind you that the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hats stickers all kinds of great stuff let's do ask us anything which you can do by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com Calm, and I want to start with this question from Josh, who says, what is the place or places that you two go to where you would be considered a regular, i.e. staff knows your order, you're chatting it up with a waiting staff or owner, etc. Now, I know, Andy, that you are a big Waffle House aficionado. Is there a specific one that you go to where you're like, 
this is you walk in and you're the man like people are throwing confetti at you you know there's like <laughs> balloons in the air like what which one where are you going yeah when i when i and i've, I've got uh, i'm, I'm going to shout out three places here because let's go because uh, it, it's changed so when i when i lived in reynoldsburg uh the the location on uh east broad street there just east of i-270 that that i i would say still may be the best waffle house i've i've ever been to um uh, the, the staff there when when i lived i was there, gonna say it, what differentiates this waffle house from literally every other waffle no house no, I mean, no i mean there's a oh come on you have not traveled enough if you don't know there is a pretty wide range oh, there is uh, i'm just saying like a lot of it experiences. just did they do anything different or is it just the quality of the staff and so the people it's, there? it's i mean it's all about the quality of the staff right okay. so the the quality of the food is the same in terms of the base ingredients everywhere right. you go they're not changing that uh, no 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 that's not changing like a, a t-bone is a t-bone is a t-bone what what's different is how well is it cooked so so is the grill is the grill staff on on their game and and there were always fantastic fantastic grill staff there but but the wait staff is what makes a waffle house like a waffle house should be warm and inviting right it's 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 that idea of going to mama's kitchen you know and and having yeah. having steak and eggs or, or or having some hash browns but it should be friendly it should be warm and inviting uh, and that one just consistently hit it out of the park. Now I have to say, you know, it's been two years probably since I was a regular there. Uh, I had become a regular, but they did know my order, like by heart, like shout out to Miss mm. Linda. If Miss Linda is still there Fantastic. at that location, she uh, sets the standard for, for staff at a waffle house, the airport location uh, on Cassidy road in Columbus had become my, my new waffle house, just because we moved closer to downtown. It's a lot closer to my house. Now my mm. problem there because they had um, had had my order down pat and and I had become a certified regular there. Uh, Derek, uh, one one of the best short order cooks in the business, was just fantastic. Um, but the problem is that COVID kind of wrecked that, and so coming sure. back out of COVID, I'd started going back there and. Unfortunately, I, I guess they, I guess they fall into this. Everybody's hard, for, hard up for help in food service now. Uh, and so the problem is you go there and about half the time, maybe three quarters, uh, they're just open for carryout only and you can't dine in. And I'm, I'm sorry. I don't understand people taking carryout from Waffle House. I don't get it. <laughs> eggs are never good cold, like ever, uh, other than, you know, hard boiled eggs or egg salad or something like that. But like, if I'm ordering scrambled eggs, and, and a mid-rare T-bone and hash browns, none of that is going to be good when I get home. Like Waffle House is something that has to be experienced in the restaurant. And mm. I, so I don't get being open for carryout only. And, and if I can't go in and sit down at the bar and have a hot cup of coffee with my scattered, covered, smothered, chunk capped hash browns, I'm out. I'm out. I'm sorry. So I've <laughs> transferred my allegiance to local uh, outfit in Whitehall, Skillet and Grill, just right on the border between Whitehall and Bexley at local operation breakfast and lunch only and shout out to to miss diane and uh and and my main man josh uh they are fantastic and they know my order so when i walk in josh just says you want your usual i said yes i do and wow. and they have it just toot sweet fantastic sausage gravy so if you're in the area go to skillet and grill tell them andy sent you and get the josh's pick it's legit and you will you will love it nice um you, by the Henry? way well, so while you were while you were uh, listening to these, I, I decided to go on on uh, Google here and kind of see what the highest rated Waffle Houses were in the area, and they're all actually pretty. They're all pretty. They're all like around four point one, four point two. They're all doing yep. pretty well for a Waffle House. That's yep. that's not bad. I I looked down near Middletown, and um, so about the same, but there is a four point four rated waffle house in springboro right across the street from where i used to work actually at smith automotive uh smith 
auto parts there. Um, and that's that's a 4.4 right off the highway. So I'm gonna I may have to try that. My my parents, I don't know if I've relayed this on the dubcast before or not. My parents' first date was actually at Waffle House in Middletown. Oh my god, I love that. That's yeah, amazing. It's pretty legit. That Waffle House is still in business, by the way. Not a yes. surprise. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's that's not too bad. I I don't go out very often for food. I will say that. That I I really we don't do that very much. And when we do, we kind of rotate around. However, I will say. And I know I've shouted out this particular establishment on the Dubcast before, but I'll do it again because they're great. Uh, the food truck La Poblanita Dos, it's on Indianola, uh, right near another place where I used to work. Um, uh, school there, we used to t- we used to do this thing like as a reward for kids, we would we would uh, take their orders in our little homerooms, and then if they you know did something that was great or whatever, or they did met certain metric, uh, we we'd all get food for them from the La Poblanita. And nicest people in the history universe. I mean, just sweet as can be. And the fact that they're dealing with, you know, dozens of teens who are constantly changing their orders and trying to get different crap and don't know what they want and all this other crap. The fact that they put up with all that with supreme grace and niceness is just always impressive to me. And their food is unbelievable. So I've been there many, many times, both by myself and uh, with students. And I don't know that they would recognize me, but here's the thing. This is another, this is a little interesting wrinkle. This past year, uh, I had some students who were doing a capstone project and they were researching local restaurants because they wanted to kind of see the evolution of them and then, you know, who was running them and what their philosophy, just basically a deep dive into local restaurants. And one of those was La Poblanita and I was like, hey, if you're going out there, you know, see if they remember Johnny. <laughs> and they do. The guy said, like, oh, yeah, I know John. I know that guy. And I'm like, whoa. Okay. So the next time I go out there, I'm going to be like, hey, man, thanks for talking with my students. I'm going to get the torta like I always do with the chicken. <laughs> and it's going to be fantastic. So I'm looking forward to my next uh, La Poblanita experience because they, like I said, fantastic people, excellent food. And just like I said, friendly as hell. So awesome. that that would probably be it. I I really enjoy that. And I used to go to Mama's Pasta and Brew all the time. Used oh, to yeah. all the time in college. Classic. Um, but neither of those places exist anymore. So unfortunately, I can't lead anyone there, which is a little sad. Uh, next question. This is from a good friend Alvin who wants to know simply what is our first memory. <laughs> That's such a good question. Wow. Andy, what is your first memory? Do you do you have uh, do you have Can anyone I... that sticks in your head particularly? I don't even know. Uh, I, I have. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could come up with which one was my first memory. I have snippets of like from the house I grew up in, the the first house. So mom and dad mm. lived in this house on the farm um, where dad managed this farm in the in the eighties for for a much larger um farming operation and so they had a like a rental house on the on the farm property this great old kind of rambling two-story and i have snippets of that i only lived that in the house till i was five so i remember like one year at christmas um getting my picture taken with santa claus in the house like santa claus and oh nice and one of santa's little helpers who happened to be a a comely young lass that and and i'm looking back those pictures i'm like i need to remember to ask dad who was the cutie in the elf costume (laughs) because of the time you're like oh it's santa and it's elf and now looking back i'm like dang she's a nice looking girl had mom let her over the (laughs) threshold uh and then let's say i remember you know in that same house there was like a pool table that uh, we had the train set on. So I, I remember those. And those are all things that happened before I was five. Um, I remember, you, you know, much younger than that. So my, my granddad, Grandpa Vance, passed in 85. I guess I would have been, 
God, I don't know, maybe maybe four. I suppose yeah, I was going to say four. You're three or four years old, probably. Yeah, I was like, four. I'm thinking, you know, because I was born in '85. Right, right. So, uh, but I remember. So, Grandpa, um, we lost Granddad. He'd had a series of strokes, and so his first stroke, uh, he lost the ability to talk, and like one arm was in a sling the rest of his life. And and so even though he, he couldn't talk, um, he could still communicate. And, and he did that through a series of like grunts, growls, and and so on. And one time, one of the older cousins, and if you ever had older cousins, maybe you experienced this, they would put me up to stuff. Like I was the kid who was in between two waves of cousins. So there was a group of four or five of them who were a few years older than me. And I was kind of by myself. And then two, three years younger than me, there was another wave that came through, right? So mm -hmm. I was always kind of the odd duck in, in that I was the only one that was my age with at least two or three years of separation between the groups older and younger. And the older groups would do things like, let's say, for example, the time we were at grandma's for family dinner and they said, hey, hey, if you go up to grandma and say, and then insert adult four-letter word here, <laughs> she'll think that is so funny. <laughs> and I did and got introduced to the um, phrase, wash your mouth out with soap in a very oh, nice. literal way. And uh, by the way, liquid dish soap on your tongue. Is oh, not God. Oh, that's so bad. Dawn liquid dish soap. Yeah. You think oh, I ever Lord. talked like that around grandma again? No, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, grandma was the best. I, my God, I love my grandma. She was an amazing woman. Um, but grandpa, man, so what they did to me on that was they said, hey, so grandpa had one of those four-footed canes, right, that, that he helped him walk. Hey, hey, go and, and take grandpa's cane and run down the hall with it. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, like three-year-old me was like, okay, that sounds great. And I went and stole grandpa's cane. And ran. I got my backside paddled so <laughs> hard for that. And, like, it's funny. I remember doing that. Um, the other one that was really good was the time my brother and I, uh, rolled the car down the hill at grandma's house. So grandma's house, um, the, the driveway was a circular drive up a hill and the house set up on top of a hill. So this like 1980, I'm guessing maybe 78, 79, I have to ask dad what year the Bonneville was, but it was this baby blue Pontiac Bonneville. It was made out of, I think, pure iron. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it weighed probably six metric tons, you know, like, you know, the classic late seventies, eighties road hog I'm talking about. Right. Oh yeah. And so it's time to go, but is, is anyone who's maybe experienced as a child, it takes parents an average of about 78 minutes to actually leave after they say, okay, kids, it's time to go. Right. Right. Because yes. you're saying your goodbyes and there's lots more talking. Yeah, the, the Midwest goodbye. It's, it's, you yes, start an hour a, before you actually leave. So little brother and I go out to the Bonneville and for some reason, um, you know, because we didn't have car seats in those days, or at least if we did, we didn't use them. Uh, I'm in the front driver's seat and little brother is in the front passenger seat. And we're sitting there. No, 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 no. I got my hands on the steering wheel. Tra -la 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 -la. And little brother says, huh, what's this do? And yanks on the gear shift and yanks it down into neutral. <laughs> and apparently it wasn't a safety feature in those days that you actually had to have your foot on the brake uh, right. because he yanks this thing into neutral. And this Bonneville rolls down the hill at about 78 miles an hour oh and slams into this chicken coop that was like up on cinder blocks, knocks oh it off God. the cinder blocks. I got my butt paddled all the way back to the house. That's and hilarious. of course- 
I laugh, I laugh about now. I tell this story when we're together with my brother and his wife all, all the time, because like, this is so emblematic of our upbringing. I I'm, I'm getting my backside paddled all the way up the driveway and put down in the easy chair to, and told that, you know, basically sit, stay, don't move. And I'm balling because I've been through this experience. I've been blamed for it and paddled because I was in the driver's seat. Right. Meanwhile, everybody's like, Oh, poor Kobe. That's my little brother. Poor Kobe. Are you okay? You poor little deer. I'm like, he did it. <laughs> it was him. And he got away with it and oh I got blamed for it. But yeah, I like, we laugh about it now. And it's hilarious. You know, Oh my God, that was that that was a scary shadow for the rest. Oh, you kidding me? Like, what, what was the worst thing that was going to happen? We're going to end up out in the middle of a cornfield back. Like, no, it was, well, you know, nothing but as a kid. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yes. At, at the time. Yeah. It was <laughs> we're yeah, a little kid. You're probably freaking out. Like, oh my God. We were. We were. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we were terrifying. <laughs> we were, were a little shook up. Uh, um, but yeah, that was a hoot. That, that one was a. That one was a good one. And I said that was foreshadowing for the rest of our upbringing because he got away with every, nice. I had to toe the line. He got away with everything. And if any of his friends are listening to this, you, you can feel free to point that out. Uh, that right. uh, I, I was made to toe the line. <laughs> he got away with everything. Um, I would say, so my first memory, I mean, I, you know, memories are such a weird thing because we, we invent memories, right? As we get older, people don't really, I think, People love to say like, "Hey, I remember when I was a little toddler." Like, no, you don't. You don't. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, we think we know things, and then our brain basically, you know, backtracks and like invents stuff for us to know, and that's that can be dangerous sometimes. Um, I would say the first memory that I'm fairly, I can be really certain of, right? That I can, with general certainty, say that this is like authentic, and I, I believe that most of this happened in the way that it happened was probably when I was about four years old. And I, so I have a scar on my forehead, on my eyebrow, actually. Um, it cuts my eyebrow in half. And the second time actually, I, I, I slammed my head into something twice in the exact same spot. Um, second time was I fell off my bike. First time I was four. And this is what I remember, which is I was at daycare and I was running around because I'm a four year old. I trip and I fall and I slam my head on the edge of a brick fireplace. Yikes. And yeah, and I just I, I just slice open my my skin and uh, it goes down to the bone and I'm bleeding and there's blood pouring down my face. And I remember distinctly because this daycare is at this lady's house. I'm, I'm sitting on uh, the kitchen counter and I my mom was a nurse. She's still a nurse, but uh I knew my mom was a nurse and I'm like, call my mom and tell her to fix this. It's not going. Like I was freaking out. And when they brought me to the hospital, cause I did have tons of stitches, like, I mean, you know, right through it. Um, I was so freaked out by this idea of stitches. Like I didn't know what was going on. They didn't tell me what they were going to do. They had to have five people hold me down and hold me straight one for each limb. And then one for my head. So that they could actually apply the, I don't know, like 20 or so stitches that they had to put on my face. So it was, it was not a fun time, but I learned from it. And the second time I was riding my bike, hit a curb, fell, cut open the same spot. And that time went great. I was like, ah, I've been through this. Not a big deal. I'm good. I remember that. So that's, I believe that's my first one. Now I can think of some other things where it's like uh, at the first house that my family lived in there's some very vague things I remember about that. Uh, we were only in that house for like a year. Um, 
you know, being at my grandparents' house, but I don't know which, how old I was or any of that kind of stuff. But that, that is probably the most vivid early one that I can be reasonably sure is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I've, I've got the scar to prove it. So, you know, it's all, it's all good. Uh, excellent questions, gang. I, I appreciate all of those being sent in and please continue to do so. We love answering them every week and we'll continue to do so next week on the Dubcast. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.